Welcome back to the More in Common podcast. Uh, This is part two of the Devin Larkin conversation. Uh, I hope you had a chance to take a listen to part one. And if you liked it, definitely give us a share, a comment. Hey, send us some comments about things you like or don't like about the show. And we are always looking to improve. Well, with that said, have a great experience checking out the rest of this awesome conversation with Devin Larkin. it's getting better like so we're moving in the right direction is it complete not no chance not at all obviously like but i think it's going in the right direction some things that are going on that i don't think that it's okay particularly but i think that it's it's working towards something because the way that i grew up granted i'm still having similar conversations i'm having with my daughter that my parents had with me and, who, and so on and so on but we're moving further away from violence, which is good. I would say to some extent, maybe three years old, I think, Uh, you know, when she could start, I feel like we should comprehend, you know, and kind of have like really decent sentences or uh, I think so somewhere around like three, when I started to treat her like that, because I thought it was, you know, it just made sense. And, you know, to your last point where parents say, or just do it kind of thing, Parents are lazy. They are lazy and they don't want to have, because that's the easy way out. I just don't want to talk about it or just do it. And one of your previous guests, I can't remember her name, Mina, maybe, or uh, she uh, was telling the story about uh, being at the beach with the little girl with playing volleyball. Uh, and then she had to talk to her. Megan. Uh, I God, Megan. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. Megan. Yeah. yeah. Megan Share. So, she, you know, and she was, you know, bringing that up that was like, Gosh, I'm sorry. I lost my. She was like, because it was it was the <laughs> yeah. body image. It was like everybody. It was the young, the young woman who's like an acro gymnast, and people were saying, "Oh, you're so petite. You're so tiny." And yeah. Megan had a feeling like, "Oh, don't say that to her." And then because she had body image issues that she was working with, and instead right. of projecting those onto the girl, she asked her how she felt about people saying right. that about her. Yeah, and I remember yeah, exactly what I was bringing up because she was talking about at the beginning about like talking about sex with parents and talking about kids and they're not doing it. And it made me think about it. I was like, yeah, you know, because parents are lazy because they're not trying to have these conversations. But it's really a, um, and you can't even call it an immature, it's a, it's a level of immaturity. But like we know if you don't attack cancer, if you don't cut it off the body, it's going to constantly grow. Like kids are not going to just stop doing these things. So like the idea of just saying, just do it just further, like you said, perpetuates the cycle of whatever's going on and things are going to grow and get bigger and fester. And then now you have this huge problem where, you know, your kids that get to be 35 years old and, you know, they don't talk to their parents, which is a shame because at that point your parents should be chill. Like it should be like your friend almost, but they didn't parents all the time. Don't build this relationship with their kids, you know, in the early on. So um, again, I apologize for that long with no, the answer. There. No, that's, that's, you've given a lot to think about. I will answer your question, Keith, but on that last, on that, the middle point, parents being lazy, I want to say, yes, I am lazy at times. I also think like, I think about everything. I think there's a scale and I think there's, I don't know, like sometimes parents are tired, which I think lends to the lazy. And I think sometimes they don't know, yeah, like right. it's hard to do better when you don't know it. And I think some To Keith's point about the generational things, I think it's just, it's not even that it's easy to revert to what model we've been given. That is 
it's not easy. It's just how we're built. It takes not only somebody pointing it out and your awareness of it and your constant focus, like everything that you were talking about in the beginning of this conversation. Cause I, I don't know that everybody knows that like they're just perpetuating the cycle. Unfortunately, I don't know that everybody knows that teeth to your question. What I would like to say and what I'm, I was thinking through the feedback from my parents because they watch me parent is that it's kind of that's always been like from day one. And it's little things like when Ruby was a year old coming over empty in the dishwasher. And it's like my mom was like, oh, she was like, I would have like, no, you would have not been playing in the dishwasher. I'm like, they're just silverware. Like I, she let her. Yeah. How's she going to learn? And um and I don't always get this right, but I, it is a, I think it's, I started at day one, but it is probably going to be a process all the way through of like reminding myself because there are moments where I'm just like, you need to do this. And then I can feel her energy shift and she starts to get real stubborn. And I realize it's cause I just got real stubborn. And then when it works is when well, when it doesn't work is when I continue like, no, 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 you're going to do this. And when it works is when I'm like, okay, let's talk about it. Let's figure like, let's compromise. Let's figure out a way that we can make this work. Like daddy needs to get this work done. Maybe you want to sit next to me and work or watch Daniel tiger or whatever it is. And she comes and she's like, I have a good idea. And I'm like, what's your good idea? And she's like, ice cream and TV. And I'm like, Hmm, I don't know if that's it, but thank you for sharing. Like, but it, it becomes a collaborative thing and it's a constant reminder to get back to that for me. What about you, Keith? Yeah. I mean, I think there, there are a few things. I, I actually want to challenge the sentiment in general of parents being lazy. I think parenting's hard and sometimes taking the easy way out is just the only thing you can do in that moment. Sometimes. And I think, yes, Yes. <laughs> yeah. Go watch that like, TV because daddy is about to pass out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, my youngest today decided to just empty. This happened today. Just empty all of my change drawer. Not all of it, but a lot of it on my floor. And she's two. And I said, well, now you need to clean that up. And you can't play. And you can't play with your toys until you clean this up. She just laughs at me, right? So now I'm doubling down. I'm in an irritated mood this morning. And it's, it's like I'm, I'm reflecting back on that, knowing like I just, I was working. I didn't have, so I just went to the default of you need to do it, right? Like there's no rational conversation. There's, there's no any of those things. And yes, she is too. I think that as far as what we have done is always tried to reflect the stature of our children, like how we assess their maturity, what they're at, and just treating them like people all the time, you know, talking to them like people, not doing baby talk, you know, certainly just as, as things progress, working through things, giving them options, giving them choices, getting their opinions, boy, do they have them. And so oh, you, it's yeah. funny because you were saying you were saying uh, assessing their stature. I'm like, man, that's it's that's one of those tough things because it changes like moment to moment. Sometimes. And, and it's sometimes it's like you were the most uh, like my oldest and she's four and she's very mature. And then so it's hard on that end of the spectrum to respect her maturity 
when she turns into a four-year-old, right? Like she lives like a 16-year-old and then all of a sudden she's a four-year-old again. And my expectation has anointed her as this mature 16-year-old. So now I need to treat her like a four-year-old, not a 16-year-old. And it's really hard going back and forth and, and navigating. But at the same time, doing that is treating them like people, right? Because that's what you have to do with your friends and your family. Like I have to adjust when you're in a bad mood. Like I've got to adjust when my wife is in a bad mood or in a great mood or wants to do something. It doesn't want to do something. She's not the same person all the time. Rodney's not the same person all the time. So, but when it comes to our children, that ego component of it, it's like, you're too young to know, and I need to flex. And it's, it's hard not to, it's hard not to, it's, it's hard not to fall into that trap. And, and I certainly get why parents do, because being aware of that, navigating that and being very, very clear in the mud about it is, is hard. It's it's a daily grind. Yeah. In your estimation, is it possible to accurately label whether somebody else is being lazy? Mm. I guess technically, you know, like no, but then, you know, I guess you only say that they're being lazy because you're judging them off of how you would react to the situation or what your perspective, what they should be doing. Anytime I think you use the word should, it, mm. it's a level of entitlement, you know, that you're using. So technically, no, it's not lazy. You know, technically, no, you can't really call anyone lazy because they got their own world going on that they're trying to deal with because we're not always into it. Some people said that I'm lazy at points, you know, and mm-hmm. I don't, I know that I'm not, lazy, you know, but at a moment I could be for sure. Um, so technically no. Yes. And I would only add that it is a uh, yes I, to the question or yes to what Devin said, to, to what Devin said, like everything okay. Devin said, I was going to say, but I would also add or, and I would also add that, by judging someone as lazy, oftentimes we're judging them based on a reflection of what we see from them. And this is the concept, in my opinion, of meeting people where they are. If I meet Devin for the first time and he's sitting around watching TV, and that's the only thing I ever know about him, I could say, oh, he's, he's lazy, but I know nothing about Devin. Right. I know nothing about his, the, how he lives the 23 other hours in a day or the 364 other days in a year. And even people you work with or live with, like Rodney, you know, I could, you could call me lazy sometimes. And it's like, but you haven't observed how I worked the other 23 hours and those small interactions that we had had in one given day were when I was being lazy maybe in a moment but to to call because we're all lazy at times right like we all have our lazy moments i think it's part of being human but to call someone lazy i i agree with all of the things that you said Devin. what about you rod how do you answer your own question um i answer my own question with just wondering still i mean i i do think i agree with everything you said Devin. i think just listening to us talk about it here, it just made me wonder. It, it seems like it's very much root, like the laziness is very much rooted in judgment, or it's like a sub category of judgment where I can assess if I'm being lazy, but I can only ask you if you're being lazy or like why maybe you're not doing something. Um, so it's kind of making me reassess because Keith, we had had a conversation about it at one point 
somebody we were working with and it was just like it was very much i think we realized we were just judging and like making a lot of assumptions about what they were and weren't doing and the only way to clear it up was to ask questions. So I don't know. I just thank you. I th- appreciate you indulging me. I'm still trying to figure think, it out. Yeah. I think Devin, you hit the point on the head is you're judging based on how you like, how you react or would react. Right. And, and, and it's how you would react about a particular thing. Right. Like, so you're into sports and if you played baseball or football or basketball, you would, play it 24 hours a day, but the person that's playing it is only doing it 10 hours a day. They're lazy. Right. But then on the flip side, maybe it's computer engineering and you don't like computer engineering, but you're the computer engineer and someone who loves computer engineering, but isn't, they'd be like, you're, you're lazy because you're not doing it as much as I would do it if I had it. Right. And, and I think that's the the crux of it. Right. This also bumps up against the limits of English. And I think depending on the the way somebody's using it. Cause as you were saying that I was thinking of programming, like good programmers are lazy. Like you take the easiest route to get to the answer. The most simplistic route is like going to meet that most elegant code or water is lazy. It takes the easiest route to find egress. Uh, humans, I think parents often take the easiest route. I think, so I think it depends on the context and or the meaning that you're using when you're coming to the word, damn language, English is just, it's just, it's complex. And then another thing too, that like people just might work another way. It makes me think about uh, Rick Rubin. Um, you are you familiar with Rick Rubin. He talks about like when he's in the studio, he just lays down, you know, and working as he laying down and people look at it and say, Oh, he's, he's lazy. He's not doing X, Y, Z properly. Like, but it's just how he works. And I mean, it's Rick Rubin, you know? So it's, again, it's just other people projecting their thoughts of how things should be on him, you know, and it's not, it's technically not good, you know, Mm -hmm. and this is probably what causes so much issue in organizations or culturally, like when we're looking at different groups and, Oh, they're lazy, right? Blacks are lazy. Mexicans are lazy. Like whatever the, the stereotype is. And it's like, no, they, they work. They, the one I've seen work differently than me. So they must be lazy or, I think that's that's a good observation. That's an astute observation. Especially, you know, like to piggyback off of that point right there is if you think about like when, you know, the idea of black people were lazy, you know, happened when people did become free slaves. You know, they were they said, that, you know, black people would just sit there and just relax all day. And it's like, you know, someone's called them lazy, but like, hell yeah. Like if I just gave you 50 years of life of, of really grinding and working, yeah, not need to relax. So it's not even them being maybe lazy in the moment, but it's a justifiable laziness. Cause I've just finished grinding. That know, is, for, that is the gaslight of all gaslights. Like <laughs> you were my slave picking cotton for me in my hot ass fields. And I'm going to call you lazy for sitting around for a day. When, hmm, when you yeah. have an opportunity to be, to, to do while stuff. I was sipping lemonade <laughs> on the front because, stoop of my because porch. now you you finally have a choice in your life and you chose to sit <laughs> because you've been standing for 25 years or however long you were hot damn were I knew enslaved. it them blackies are lazy yeah, if, if we it. don't tell them what to do they're not going to do anything I think that's really what the conclusion is to draw here <laughs> yay eugenics let's let's start a study about since it, we right? got on this train of thought <laughs> 
uh, earlier we we asked you about uh, social justice, and you said getting better. You said it's it's progressing. What I want to go there. I want to what like what's your take on where we are in the world right now and justice? Oh well, I think when I unless we're getting better with the fact that it's even being a conversation for one, um, and it's getting better where. I feel very comfortable that if I walk down the street or if I talk to someone that's from a different race, I'm not going to get lynched, you know, or anything like that. And that's what I mean. Like it's getting better. Like, so we're moving in the right direction. Is it complete? Not, no chance, not at all, obviously. Like, but I think it's going in the right direction. Some things that are going on that I don't think that it's okay, particularly, but I think that it's, it's working towards something because the way that I grew up, Granted, I'm still having a similar conversation I'm having with my daughter that my parents had with me and who, and so on and so on. But we're moving a, further away from violence, which is good. But it's it's just, we got a lot of ways to go. <laughs> yeah, which I'm sure most people can agree with. There's um, a, some, some an observation that I've been sensing lately. And I don't know why or where, and maybe it's within me, but as the race conversation has come up in my lifetime, there's always resistance to it, right? You know, as the old trope goes, don't play the race card. And that resistance at the cultural majority, um, white people in particular, has always won out, right? So then the conversation of race gets put back into the corner, into the subculture, or into the barbershop or wherever it ends up being, but it's out of the mainstream and it's no longer a thing. There is that was like, I feel that resistance losing out right now. Like that resistance. Oh, we don't need to talk about that or we don't need to overindulge on it or we don't need to play the race card in this particular situation. I hear it in corners, but culturally in mass, the conversation is still being driven. And then at least that, that's an observation I've seen as far as progress goes. It's partially a nod to capitalism, I think. I think for the first time that I'm aware of, or with companies realizing that it's less profitable to be silent on social issues than it is to say something, it's something things are mo- like things are, are happening for tons of reasons. But like, that's a first. And I think that's causing some progression. And I think it's also causing some pushback. When you said the violence piece, Devin, I like, it's weird. Like, this is where I think media gets real tricky. And I don't hate the media by any means. I think it gets tricky because like right now, these rash of these recent like hate crimes against Asian Americans is very front and center for me. So I'm like, is the violence going down? But like, I know that the actual the actual crime stats are better than they were 25, 50 years ago. What I do think what I, what I have since, especially coming out of the last, out of the Trump administration is a more targeted violence, a more vocal and targeted violence towards people of color, towards LGBTQ plus towards Asian, towards anyone who is not in that white people, white people majority. There has been some targeted violence, but it is not what it used to be. And it is not, it's not like a majority of the violence, but it's, it's there. And I think that's the thing that messes with me. Cause uh, while I walk down the street right here, I don't fear getting lynched 
but I do think about, I still very consciously think about every interaction that I have with white people in my neighborhood or like, just, I don't know, like just how I, how I am out in public here in LA, I still very much think about it every day. So whether or not that's needed is another thing, right? Keith, you were like, is this my percent? Is this real or is this just in me? And I, I think, you know, I can totally agree with it. It's something that I think about and I'm aware of, especially interactions with police officers. Like I still get a little tense, you know, when they're just driving behind me or whatever. And I know that I didn't do anything like, you know, my license is updated, my registration, but it's like, it could go really bad at any point, but it's, but that's what I'm saying. Like it's, it's, you know, it's better. You know, I don't think I'll just get totally targeted and pulled out the car, which I know it still happens and it definitely could happen, but it's a little bit easier to do if I just think now it's like the kind of racism that we're dealing with. It's just, you can't even really see it anymore. You, it's hard to even feel it. And then it's hard to even call it out sometimes too, because some of it is mistakenly done, but like I, I vehemently believe it's still wrong because it's not always murder. Sometimes it's manslaughter and it's still a crime, mm-hmm. but like we don't, we're not, even, somebody's still dead. Somebody's still dead. Exactly. You know? So it's like, it's still going on and it's still happening, but as long as we constantly keep talking about it and pushing to the forefront, eventually it'll get better. Like it just has to, because I mean, maybe I'm just too optimistic, but the world is always getting better. No, I mean, it's hundred percent better than it used to be. You said something right there. It's like, whether it's on purpose or not, I think that's that's the the hardest part of living in a country that is built on a racist infrastructure, that it affects every single one of us. Me, my mom, my brother, my sister, you, Keith, like it affects us all what like whether or not we acknowledge it, whether or not we try to be a part of it, whether or not we're trying to be apart from it it's so woven into the structures of this country that it just is. So sometimes this person here that denied you this bank loan or did this, didn't do it because they hate you or they hate black people. But the reason that that rules, the rules exist that they're following are because of that. And it's hard to parse that to your point. And I mean, those, those prejudices, those biases, those, outright bigoted uh, sentiments pervade and affect the psyche. And as they get better, they become less overt, not just towards you, but inside other people, right? And then it becomes a reflection of having to be aware of the fact that you didn't hire that independent contractor because they were black not because you sit here and say, boy, I hate black people, right? But because <laughs> right, you right. came across their resume, you saw their picture, and you just thought something inside of you that they're probably not the right fit. And it may have been a subconscious thought that you didn't even flash it, in You your didn't even mind. process, and you just flipped past the page. And it's that interwoven nature of those biases that affect how far we still have to go what that does to me is it puts me on defense most of the time. Like I am looking for something that I have, like I'm, I'm heightened. Uh, I talking to my parents over the past couple of weeks about their experiences working. Both of them have experienced times where they were told into their faces by coworkers that the only reason they have a job is because they're black. And I've never been told that. I'm sure people have thought it. I can't, like I, 
it almost made me cry hearing that from them. And I was just like, man, you had to like always be on. Like, there's no, like we talked about laziness and resting. Like, you don't get to shut down as a black person in at work or at, in the world because you have to be looking out for somebody that's just like, yeah, nah, you don't even deserve to be here. Oh, see, you didn't do that thing. I knew you, you're lazy. You didn't deserve. You didn't deserve to be here. Uh, let me go ahead and tell your boss. And that is, and like for me, I've experienced that as like an emotional burnout. And my dad was like resistant to it, and he was like, "Oh, actually, like I never." He he just kind of felt like, "No, that it drives me," and I think it does to a degree. He's just like, "I just had to know more and be better and come in and be on all day." And I was like, "Yeah, that that's exhausting." Yeah, and, you know, and it, it is exhausting. Like, and it's like like you said, like it's especially now in like tech where people say bring your whole self to work, you know, and everything like that. You know, that notion like. I mean, yes, that sounds really good in theory, but then we're also going to acknowledge that, you know, not one company is just hiring only unbiased people, only unracist people. Like, it's just impossible. Like some CEO said that, you know, my company is just a representation of XYZ number representation of America. So realistically, how can I be my whole self if I know that somebody might look at me a little bit differently or because of my beard or my hair, you know, or whatever it is, you know, and it's, it's hard to deal with and navigate. And it's, it's something I think everyone struggles with too. And I, you know, talk to other people and they say, you know, say the same thing, not just black people, just, um, it's Asian women, you know, have told me the same thing, like, Oh yeah, I'm actually this whole other person, you know, that you don't even know. And I was like, Oh, wow. And when she started telling me about it, I'm like, Oh wow. Like I had no idea that you, talk like this or thought like this and it was it was pretty cool but other people are experiencing the same things i don't definitely think it's a black thing at all um it's just you know minority thing or maybe or people thing i think it's a people thing yeah yeah there's definitely a human element to it and then you add in those judgments right going back to judgment like if you perceive me especially if you're in power as lazy if you are perceived as that based on some cognitive bias that you just don't care to reconcile like all it takes is that one thing that validates that perception and then it's solidified versus as you know we've talked on the show the 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 benefit of the doubt is a real thing like there is never going to be a time where a black person shoots up asian spas or spas where predominantly asian women live and just said, hey, he's just having a bad day. He was trying to get rid of sex addiction. Like, that's, that's, that in of itself is the default benefit of the doubt that I know I get. And I feel it. Like, when you guys talk about these things culturally, I feel the opposite. Like, I never feel those things. I feel them at a, at a personal level, right? Like, oh, I'm, is someone going to think I'm, I'm lazy today because I'm actually being lazy? Right. Like I'm having yeah. <laughs> having one of those days, not just because of the color of my skin. Right. I think like particularly with like black people that we feel like we're all responsible for each other to some extent. Like and if you know, if uh, me as being black, if I mess up everybody, now the whole mm-hmm. black races, they're being looked upon that way. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason why is because when you start thinking about the amount of black african-americans that and i mean by that who came from slavery you know who didn't come from you know africa it's 
for one, we're only here in America for one, you know, mostly. And then it's only a very small number of us. So it's like, you know, I think the statistically there's like 333 million Americans and I think black people represent 13%. So then even if you just working off of that number, that's still, you know, 13 million people roughly. I think, I think that's the numbers on it. Like that's not be a lot of people at all. That's for your people. About, about 40 million. million. Yeah, about 40, 40 million. Okay, got it. Yeah. The 40 out of 333. Right, yeah. I, got, I got you. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. You know, like, so that's, it's just a small number of people. So it's like, it's really almost like a tribe, you know, actually, when you think about it, you know, I think that's plays into the part where it is because you can go certain parts in a, in America. And my cousin, he went to school in Northern Michigan, up in Northern Michigan. And, um, people would stare at them because they just never seen black people before. So it's like, we're not all connected, but in some ways we are connected because there's just so few of us in the world, you know, in general. And I think that plays into it to a lot of it and from our side from the black perspective, as well as everyone else's perspective, because it's not that many of us. Hmm. I know we're getting close to time and we could go for another two hours. Devin, <laughs> yeah. like, I, I don't know. There was a moment we were talking like this, the dad, like, I just want to just have another dad conversation with y'all. Like I just felt a, this warm energy around it. Really appreciate you, Devin. Thank you. Yeah. No, no, you, no problem at all. I am. Um, I, yeah, I could literally talk to y'all forever because you're really um, thought provoking <laughs> for one. Yeah. And I, I appreciate the time because I learned a lot and, you know, just made me think a lot. So yeah, I'm you know grateful for this opportunity to chat with you too. We've got one final question. That question okay. is, uh, what does compassion mean to you? What does compassion mean to me? I guess just thinking out loud, it starts with listening to someone and just being able to accept who that person is and, or what that moment is and just under giving people the benefit of the doubt. You know, actually, I think, you know, might be a good way to another way to describe it and just allowing that moment or that person to be, you know, who they are and accepting of it, you know, to be, I guess, the best way to say it.